0: hi venters welcome to another episode of behind the decks this is a vent music podcast series hosted by me Freddie cocker this podcast as you know is brought to you by vents a place where everyone but especially men and boys can open up about the mental health issues break down stigmas and start conversations In each episode of Behind the Decks, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode is a returning guest and someone who recently performed at Just Checking In Live, number four, take two. Snowdream first came on all the way back in July 2020. In part one we discussed music perfectionism culture and his bisexuality and the challenges and positives that has brought to his life. Snowdream aka Elliot at that point was producing largely Future Funk records but in the three years since Future Funk as a genre has begun to tail off and Elliot has branched out much more as a producer into house, garage and other internet sub-genres. In this episode, we discuss his first ever live DJ set at Just Checking In Live and how the night went from his perspective, his TikTok following he has built and how he's balanced that new venture as a social media influencer and music producer. We also have a discussion about his debut album Open Space and his follow-up EP Strike and how he feels that they were received and how he views them now. For Elliot's mental health, we discuss his full-time job situation, working out whether he wants to work to live or live to work, being made redundant during the covid-19 period and figuring out what career lane out of the many he could go down to drive into. We also talk about decision paralysis he has experienced and we finish with an update about his bisexuality and how his perception of himself and how others perceive him has changed now he's in a heterosexual relationship at time of recording. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go back behind the decks with Snowdream. <laughs> Elliot, welcome back to Behind the Decks, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check back in with you and coming to my flat in North East London to record this. You are fresh off the back of your first ever live DJ set at Just Checking In Live, number four, brackets,
1: take two, because the last one was cancelled. So we won't mention that. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, it's been a fun bit of time. It feels a bit weird at the moment because obviously everyone knows me for doing like the DJing side of things on like TikTok but also like originally how you know me is through kind of like the music I've been making. Mm -hmm. I've not been making that much of it recently. Mm. I've kind of been chilling out a little bit. It sounds weird to like a few months off but like I realized like since 2017 I've put like either an album or an EP out in that time but there's always this constant like, I don't mean to jump into it straight away, but it's (laughs) like mate it's like there's such an expectation for artists to constantly Constant be churn, like yeah. in your face like it's the only way you kind of keep your exposure and maintain mm. it there's so much to it and um, unless you're like
0: absolutely massive
1: then people can sure. wait and be patient like Jay Huss for example like, yeah exactly I'm not years. quite there yet yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah no, exactly, but, no but it's it's been really good it's just been uh, yeah nice to kind of chill out a little bit but I think sometimes it's good to give yourself that space because now mm. I'm coming back to it I feel like fresh I'm really excited by all the new stuff I'm yeah, we need to recharge bro yeah, yeah I think I might even still have something in the works like not <laughs> too like soon this is how every time i think oh no i'm just going to take a little step back i'm always back into there or something mm-hmm. but yeah no it's, i've been having a really good time i've been chilling it's been excellent good. mate we've uh
0: we've got a lot to talk about and your career has gone from strength to strength since we last chatted three years since we last chatted which we were saying our fair doesn't seem like very long ago <laughs> no. since we last chatted mate yeah. so without further delay are you ready to start the show let's do it <laughs> Let's start your part two, mate, by talking about your music journey as Snowdream once more. So tell me, the listeners, what you've gotten up to since we last chatted. There's going to be a lot to cover here. And the journey to where you are
1: now. I mean, a lot of what's happened recently, I mean, in the last few years, it's weird. When we initially chatted in 2020 it was kind of early in, like, I kind of did a big rebrand to kind of how I did kind of my style of music when I first started shout out anyone who's listening to me from 2017 because there's <laughs> definitely only five of you. It was very like ambient and it was more about soundscapes. Was, uh, I was really into like a lot of like soundtracks and I was kind of bringing that kind of style with like Vaporwave and ambient. And I was working within my limitations because I have no training in music theory. I know that I love music and I just know that I enjoy like the Vaporwave aesthetic and like the art of just slowing stuff down. And I think the thing that makes Vaporwave so unique and so amazing is that it has created a culture where anyone can like make mm. the music. All I had It was, was a very wa- DIY scene, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And all I had was like Audacity, and I was like, "What? Do I- I'm just going to mess around with these sounds that I of songs that I really like." And I think there's like was a- that all you
0: were using at the time. You weren't using Logic Pro, no, nothing. Ableton. Like oh, when okay. I
1: started, it was literally just I'm using Audacity. Here's some songs I like. Are using that like. now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I ended up using my student discount at the time to get Ableton uh, <laughs> because I was like, um, "There's no way I can afford any of this proper kit." And yeah, I kind of assumed there was almost like an elitism or like a thing where proper real music production is like so out of my reach because I haven't had like any sort of training I don't know mm. anything about music but honestly like you can just DIY it properly you can just like pick it up from whatever so I started out being very DIY then I did a big rebrand because I really wanted to make like future funk and all that sort of stuff and I started making it and at first it's annoying because like I really like it when people like say oh they might mention like an old song I like but for me when you're so early in producing music and you're still learning all the time it's really annoying because you're like I don't like the sound of that at all because I know how much I've progressed now so it's mm-hmm. like oh you want to hear my stuff now and a lot of it's just basically been kind of working on my craft and just enjoying the process basically kind of transitioning into more of the UK kind of sound that I quite mm-hmm. like so I like doing a lot of future funk type stuff but I always found myself just like falling back on like beat making like doing like the garage type sound or like you know slightly more grime or hip-hop drums. I always like trying to mash the two together I'm still kind of in the basis of like doing that now but yeah it's been kind of that process of developing my sound developing my audience I got uh, playlisted on that big Future Funk Spotify playlist which kind of shot my numbers up quite a lot which was really cool but yeah selling out some like cassette tapes as well and obviously as you mentioned earlier the first live gig that I did oh and TikTok oh my god I didn't even mention we'll come to to TikTok mate. We'll a lot's happened yeah a
0: lot's happened we'll come to TikTok in a second and we'll come to the the state of the Future Funk scene as well Mm -hmm. but obviously a big moment in your career without sounding too arrogant about myself here was just checking in live number 4 and the fact that it was your first ever live DJ show which I didn't actually know before I booked you which I think was actually a good thing in hindsight Fake so it just you make it exactly mate tell me about your experience of the night what feedback you got and just that emotional roller coaster adrenaline rush before during and afterwards
1: right so depends how you frame it because technically you could argue that wasn't my first dj gig i had strawberry station mr wax and jelly bonbon bon, or santino brown as he kind of is known as they were doing a gig in manchester basically no one came who was from the scene at all because mm-hmm. it was like a free, it was a free event but it was up in manchester and this was in like i want to say late 2019 or something mm-hmm. like that and me and my mate came along because so I was like, oh, I remember these guys from that. They did a big gig in the summer and loads of people turned out and that was in London. That was in uh, somewhere near Hackney. And then they did this gig in Manchester and no one showed up except basically except me and my mate and like their mate. So we all just hung out and like Mr. Wax nudged me on the side. I'd never properly met him before and he was like, you're right, Snowdream, do you want to do half an hour on set? I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so it was a bit of a surreal experience. I'd literally never touched DJ decks before. No experience. He was like, do you want to just hop on and just like, fuck around, you can nick my USB or whatever. I know I nicked Santino Brown's USB. And so I was just like, just chucking songs. It was terrible. Like it sounded awful, but I was just picking songs I liked and everyone was just vibing. So transitioning from that over to an actual proper gig where like practicing and all that sort of stuff it was very different and yeah I was I was bricking it mate it was it was I was terrible it was a lot but I was also like there was so much going on I was like oh I really want to have a drink just to kind of calm my nerves a bit Mm -hmm. I was like oh but if I drink too much I'm gonna need a piss I can't piss I I was like overthinking every I'm usually like whenever there's big things like that I know I'll be okay but I can't stop myself from overthinking about all of that stuff in the moment It's hard to even think about the stuff beforehand because I just remember how much I fucking loved it when it was done. Mm. Like, it was was so much fun. And you really understand, like, the feeling of, like, feeding off the energy of people when you play a song that people like. And I kind of described this to you because I was kind of overthinking it anyway. But I was describing it to you as I almost want to do a little bit of a... If no one likes the song that I'm doing like the first time, I'll definitely make sure there's like a really good like dance mm-hmm. for filler to like so I'll play yeah, like dance I'll, Save. You've I'll play like dance or the or obscure saves. remix with two thousand listeners on YouTube just for myself because I love it. And then I'll chuck flowers on at the end because I know people <laughs> like that as well, you know like, all the all the kind of safe bits. But mate, honestly, it was such a great experience and like a lot of stuff that's kind of in any sort of industry, you never want to tell someone it's your first time you're doing it and actually you can apply that to personal things as well, won't get that. but um, <laughs> like honestly, I think it's so much of every industry is fake it till you make it, or at the very least, you know, giving yourself the confidence to do it. Cause ultimately there's not a lot of difference. If you feel like you have the confidence to just go out and do it, even if it's your first time, who's to say that that's much better than when you do it for the fifth time, 10th time, 500th time. Like, you know, it was a, it was a really fulfilling experience. I'm glad that I've finally popped my cherry for DJ mm-hmm. for the first time. So now I can kind of do it. And, those nerves won't feel the same as before
0: mm, and has it given you more confidence to try and do more dj sets in the future get more bookings and stuff like that
1: 100 percent. it's not something i've been super conscious of getting into at the moment just into, it's not my main source of employment and that's been like kicking off and i think because that's always been so erratic with just like you know work and stuff like that it's always been hard to kind of knuckle down and make permanence of like certain other things in terms of music but i'd love to do some more shows and yeah it'd be yeah really exciting just to get that process again and you know just like get more practice under my belt the other thing as well is the fact that that tiktok i did where i was like kind of doing dj remixes it kind of helped for practice but because i was basically just doing like kind of funny little mashups, mash-ups in yeah. little sound bites uh, it actually was sort of like counterintuitive And you probably have the assumption that because I had some DJ decks Mm -hmm. and that I was doing this stuff on TikTok, you probably thought, oh, yeah, he's probably DJed before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, Never done it in my life. (laughs) Fake it till you make it, mate. It always works, I promise you. But, yeah, that was like a big thing where I was like, oh, God, everyone knows me as the guy on... Like, if you search... I'm not trying to blow smoke up my ass, Mm -hmm. but, like, when you search up hashtag DJ talk on TikTok, most of my videos come up, basically, as one Mm. of some of the first things on there. And I'm like, he's the, the guy on DJ talk." and he's never DJ'd a set before. And it's like, the, the, do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah, yeah, the disconnect yeah. is so weird for that. But um, yeah, I'm just really thankful that I kind of got out of the way. And mm. then yeah, moving on from
0: there. My uni mate and headline DJ Matt Fallon went on after you. And uh, in the run-up to the event, I obviously connected the two of you in case you wanted to kind of swap ideas or just kind of get acquainted with each other. And you sent me this really pure <laughs> picture out of the blue <laughs> on one on one evening. I think I'd had a couple of beers that night as well. And I was just like, oh, my heart is so full. Yeah, It's just you and him in a pub. Yeah, <laughs> just, just drinking. Just yeah, chillin'. I love that, man. I yeah, no,
1: I, I like doing that. Well, I mean, y- you pointed that out as an idea, and I was like, yeah, that's not a bad chart. Why don't I do that? And as someone who'd never DJ before, my perspective was. Oh, I want to talk to this guy. I want to get to know like what, like what sort of stuff's he doing. I kind of want to like feed off. of Like I ended up hopping on his like canal boat and like <laughs> doing some practice DJ and stuff like that. He's the soundest bloke oh, ever. He's such a he's such man. a, he's such a nice guy. Shout out Matt. He's great and he killed it as well on the set mm. as well. He we played some really good tunes. But I think a lot of this thing, it's like any industry. Again, like my degree that I did and what I'd always wanted to do when I was younger was film production. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my basis going in. And they always tell you it's all about who you know. It's about making context, About you know making good connections with people. And sometimes I think I can be quite introverted sometimes and I can like be quite bad at trying to maintain those connections. And I was like, I can't let that slip by the wayside. But when it's in this music industry stuff where everyone's learning, collaborating together, People might have different stories i've met some of the nicest, some of the purest mm. some of the most some of the coolest people just from this music scene and whether it be online or whether it be yeah through these live events and stuff like that everyone's so chill mm. and it's gauging like knowing what sort of people are out there because you probably run across some people who aren't great but everyone I've met through like future funk and like the u k scene that's out there and then like Matt and everyone else everyone's so chill man it's really mm. yeah, it's been really really nice and it's just yeah good to you know make these connections with people and it's funny because there was a kind of a symbiotic thing because Matt said he wanted to get into music production, and he'd never he's never produced music. Or no, he's before. not. He's not done a lot of production. I've produced loads of music, but I've never dj before. Mm. So, like, we had so <laughs> we had a connection immediately, and straight away, I promise you, this was like the weirdest moment I was like oh yeah so what sort of stuff do you DJ like in terms of music he's like oh yeah I do like some like funky house and like a little bit of UK garage and you know the spider-man meme where it's both (laughs) important I have one of those moments I was like we're the same bloke basically but yeah honestly he's the sweetest guy what a legend yeah he's great
0: I got so much nice feedback myself from your set mate but obviously we can always learn and it is your first DJ set so I'm sure you've got loads of learnings to
1: come what can you do better for next time I do remember I put my hand on the wrong deck, and the music stopped for like two seconds. I was like, Shh,
0: "No, fuck!" <laughs> Style out, bro. Style but yeah, exactly, out. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, it's funny. Do you know what? It, do you know what it is? Is that there is always stuff I can learn. But I, I remember one of the other like. um my Pet Flamingo, the, uh, mm-hmm. f- the Future Funk label, they do these shows in London now called Future Sounds. They've done two of them now, and they've been pretty good. I've been to both of them. And one of the sets, uh, actually, I had Melanade and Strawberry Station stay around. Shout Melanade, of the pods. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. And Strawberry Station. And Strawberry Station, yeah. They stay around my house for that gig as well. So they they stayed around my house for for it. And I remember they both did really good sets, really killed it, good vibe, all that sort of stuff. I remember Melanade came back from the set, and he was so anxious about, like, he was like talking about, like, oh, I think I messed up here. Did anyone notice? And I'm there, two pints deep, being like, mate, honestly, I promise you, (laughs) You played great music, you did good transitions. If you make one or two mistakes, genuinely. No one really cares. No one, like, no no one, one really, really cares. And
0: no one normally pays Like Only the real music heads can tell like when those sort of mistakes happen, to be honest. For, yeah,
1: with the best one in the world, this ain't your boiler room set. <laughs> yeah, if you make yeah, a mistake, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not the end of the world. And even then, people love the mistakes in boiler room sets. It kind <laughs> of gives it the personality or like the. You know, there's that Fred again one where there's the dude in the corner who like accidentally puts his hand on the uh, jog mm. wheel and it stops the whole thing. But he's like, oh, don't worry about it, mate. Just like whacks it back in. It's like. sometimes I think those little imperfections are good. But you're right. There is a lot for me to learn. And I think that's part of the reason why I want to get stuck into it. Because the more I do it, the more I'll learn and the better I get at it.
0: Let's talk about TikTok. Because since we last spoke, you are now a, uh, I don't want to say TikTok sensation. But you are definitely uh, about about on TikTok. So you built this pretty large following, I would say. Mm -hmm. Doing some comedy type DJ content. Why did you decide to start this? As it feels... Very separate from your production
1: work. This is the thing that's been really weird about that whole process. It was always kind of a, it sounds really cynical to say, but it was always kind of a marketing tool for my music. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of always umming and ahhing about kind of TikTok in general as a platform. And I was just kind of trying to find my footing in this thing because I remember I really didn't want to do it until I saw, um, it's such a weird reference point for wanting to do it. But you know Anthony Fantano? You the told, the, you told the, me the story before. Yeah, yeah I was like, on the pod. There was a video he was doing I was watching. I, I really like his content. And he was saying at one point, if you're not on TikTok and you're a musician trying to get yourself out there, what are you doing? And you know, like, sometimes you hear stuff. You, sometimes you'll hear, like, a piece of information. You're like, that's a bit, you know, much or whatever. But sometimes there's some information that you just hear and you go wait a second, why aren't I doing this? Mm. Like, I don't know why I'm not just like giving it a go. So I kind of like tried out a few ideas. The thing that was kind of always surreal about this whole thing was that it was probably about seven, eight videos in and one of the videos started to kind of take off and I realised I kind of caught a formula. And I will say I did have a lot of support because two of my housemates are TikTokers full time. So I kind of had a framework and they kind of gave me loads of ideas and they kind of showed me the basics of like, Oh no, mate! If you want to make it like really like pop off, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to hashtag this. You got to mm-hmm. chuck this in there. So I did have a get re- some cheat codes. Legi- yeah, yeah. I low okay, I did get some like really good like ideas from them. Actually, I will admit, shout out to the accent guy. That's what he's known as on uh, TikTok. He was like in my room whilst I was fiddling around with some ideas for a TikTok, and he gave me a mashup idea. And it's my second most viewed video on TikTok. <laughs> so I should probably give some of the royalties from that to him. But it's been a really cool process, the whole TikTok thing. I've kind of stepped back from it now. I want to get back into it, but maybe just more with content that. I like but I was committing to it really hard because it was kind of taking off in such a way but it was really hard to connect it back to my music. I was say did it, 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 did it impact your music creativity? Um, so? I mean it definitely took time away from actually having to make mm. that and I th- and I realized that's a balance that artists have to strike all the time between mm. having to put so much between the marketing side of things and also just the music on the side and I think the thing that maybe was always a bit combative with me and TikTok was it was a marketing tool for my music and it was so hard to find the thing to kind of make it all kind of coincide together obviously i use like the kind of anime stylings for any of the visual art and stuff that i do and it's really hard to implement that because i'm not an animator and i can't Mm -hmm. draw for anything so it's quite difficult to make that work so it kind of felt a little bit disjointed so it kind of became two separate identities in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways it was like my music existed on the side most of the time people on tiktok were coming to my music profile they were probably really confused because they were like i thought this was a guy who did like funny mashups and i'm going on his Page and it's like it's weeby like house music. I'm like, what's going on here? So like, it's still a bit of a learning curve. Maybe I'll find a way to kind of like meet in the middle. But for now, it's uh, it's a bit of a. I'll say I'm on hiatus from TikTok, Mm -hmm. but I'm Mm -hmm. I'm I'm always willing to kind of jump back in if I think there's something that will be really good that will kind of have that same boost again. Let's talk about discography because
0: since we last spoke, you put out your debut album, Open Space, and. In my opinion, it's the best work you've done. You did it in July 2021. So it's almost two years old now, pretty much. Yeah, I know. it's weird, Time it? is flying, mate. Yeah. Just tell me about the process around it, the conception of the idea, and how
1: you look back on it. So a big reason why it exists how it does, because basically the reason why that album is kind of... It's annoying, because actually I made like an album beforehand called A Good Feeling. So that was the only album that came out when you first talked to me. That was, like, the start of, like, oh, this guy does Future Funk. And I think people kind of... There was, like, collaboration to, like, Strawberry Station on there, who was obviously blown up at that time. So, everyone was going, oh, cool, this guy does Future Funk. But then, like, I found I just, like, started, like... Future Funk started to feel, not stale, but, like, when I was I making... I mean, it is starting to feel quite stale now. It is now. Say. We can get into that. Yeah. But, like, I was, like, making it, and I was, like, I'm enjoying it, and it's still good, but I always felt like I was running out of ideas. But the thing that I always could, like, fall back on was... I love just make just like these like really fun like kind of like jerky garage beats. I just really like eight bit sort of uh, stuff. I, yeah. I just I just I just really like going back to basics because like when I first started ever making music, I wanted to be like a I wanted to be like a trap producer because that was like the thing that was hot at the time. But I just remember really liking doing like hip hop drum programming and just like doing all those sort of sequences. And I always found that when I wanted to be creative, it was easier for me to just default to like garage drums or slightly more hip hop oriented stuff. So it kind of felt like there was a transition from so I decided, okay, well, what I'll do is I will structure it from like a bit of a musical kind of transition from like future funk and kind of funky fun stuff into kind of more like garage type style. And then I kind of ended it on like a synth wave thing, so I was like trying to play around with those sort of ideas. I like to think it showed me being really versatile. But I think it was just quite polarizing for a lot of people, but I'm obviously I'm very thankful that uh, I think I, I loved I ha- it, mate. I, yeah, liked all, people... I liked all of it. I liked all the sounds. I was yeah, like, why why would I dislike this? I think it is the one of the reasons that it's kind of funny to like be really into UK garages at that the UK park. I think when it's an international audience, especially when it's future funk, if you start playing them like proper, like I was sampling the on the bus with my day saver like the YouTube video and like making that into a rap I thought it was the funniest and like the coolest thing I'd ever done but I imagine if you're like a dude from Anaheim who loves future funk and you hear that you go what on earth am I listening to so I get that there's probably a lot of he needs music
0: for you bro not just necessarily well that's the
1: thing that's the other thing as well is that at the end of the day I was like well I'm making music because I like doing it if I would rather make music that I like and if it does well and you know if I push it right then it becomes successful than just making stuff because I feel like I have to and it's like you always get pigeonholed by genres and I think Mm. future funk is such a specific little like micro yeah yeah, it's it's so niche and it's like yeah it's it's hard to kind of continue on in that sort of style if that's not 100% your thing and I think a lot of artists find that I think a lot of artists
0: even young bay's moving away from future funk and he's the biggest future Funk artist that was for sure
1: yeah yeah and there's loads of other people who kind of transition more into like the hip-hop side of things but it's cool it's fine and like what i find is that there are certain things i love about future Funk that i'm carrying over into Mm -hmm. some of the music i'm making now which is like feels like it's really nice because i think the thing that people don't talk about is that you know when like people talk about like oh this artist sounds like this artist and this artist like yeah because they're musicians like they love music like for me it's like i almost consider myself more of a music fan than an artist because i love hearing like old samples and be like oh, how can I flip this into something that I also love that's a bit more like modern or like with certain drums like there's so much I like want to do and I just feel like a music fan like a kid in a candy shop I just want to like combine loads of stuff together I keep like, saying
0: this to you bro like you need to just do I just, your thing. I know, so, I know I know yeah. and
1: I think this project I've got lined up is a, a lot more feels a lot more like the type of stuff I really like so yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's sounding really
0: and the thing I keep saying to you is, is like Garage at the moment is experiencing like I would say quite a nice revival. Yeah. There's quite a lot of artists, friend of the pod, Indigo Eyes, friend of the pod, Harry Hayes, shout out to them. Cryptogram is doing absolutely insane things in the US. He's like one of my favourite eyes just ever at the moment. Uh, Chicago um, Boy's doing really cool Zach stuff Chakall as well. shouts Shouts shout Herman, came on the pod. And that, that whole scene, and it's just fresh, everything feels fresh. Mm. So if you hop on that, yeah, you know, even a little bit, you'll be making so much great music.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know what, it's something that you've had him on the podcast as well, Mr Wax, He's yeah. I think he's had a lot of issues with the kind of transitional kind of thing Mm. of like I think the issue that he's kind of had he's making the music he wants and he's actually better at kind of just being like it doesn't matter I'll just make the music I want to make Mm. and he's a legend sure, Mr Wax but I think there's the kind of audience thing of like I think he sometimes hasn't quite nailed the exact audience that he Mm. knows that he wants to kind of capitalise on and for me it seems quite obvious I'm like all the Y two K like pop people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't yeah. have to like. He doesn't have to like stick s- super close to that sound. But there are so many different avenues for like his style of music, and he's got loads of options for X, Y, and Z. I think sometimes with him, it's just like a marketing thing that it can kind of come mm. down to making sure that marketing is kind of a bit more on point. But. It's not really the thing you get into when you get into music. You don't get... Because a lot of the time, you spend as much time marketing your album that you've already made than you spend making the album. Mm. It's all weird, but when you're independent, it's kind of what you have to do if you want to get really big numbers.
0: You then put out an EP called Strike. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. Wasn't your best work? It's mid. (laughs) Yeah, mid, Yeah, it was mid. Was it... Let's be honest here. Was the EP... Like we just said earlier, you feeling
1: pressured to make a future von Kepi? I will just clarify. I don't think it's mid. I quite. I like parts of it. Do you know what it was? I was also uh, toying around with the idea of having someone master it externally and kind of learning the process of communicating with someone for like a master mm-hmm. outside of it. I think there's some good tunes on there, and technically, my most successful stuff. When come I out say mid,
0: I don't. I don't mean mediocre. I just mean middle middling.
1: Yeah, I think. You could argue to an extent. I guess I was kind of trying to keep on that kind mm. of future funk wave, and I think the thing that's just been a bit frustrating is that I'm trying to almost keep my audience, but my audience is also well. I don't think my audience is waning, but I think future funk as a genre is sort is of is it dead? It, uh... <laughs> Nothing Here's ever, the big question. Nothing ever dies. It change. It just changes. changes yeah, it, yeah. it just kind of evolves into other stuff, or the audience kind of start to gravitate to different type of sounds.
0: But you can take your audience with you, bro.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um. Well, yeah, it's it's just that making sure I get that process right. Basically, it's. I like Strike as an EP. I mean, I don't. The thing is that. Realistically, I don't like listening back to any of my albums because I always feel like because oh, you've, it's you've, not- listened-, it's like, you've it- listened to it so it- much exactly. Though, People I mean? don't. Th- well, I mean, it's weird because I loved it when I was making it, but as soon as you've made it, you've heard it so many times. It's a bit like, so you're like, oh, now it's done. On to the next one. Yeah, like, imagine if, a if you're a chef. Feel. Imagine if you're a chef and you make there's a certain meal that you like to make for yourself that you love. Yeah, you love it and and it's really good and you like it because you're the one who makes it. But once you eat it, like however many millions of times, you're done with it after a certain amount of time. Like, it's the same kind of thought process. And again, I like the work that I always kind of put out with. And some of the tracks on on Strike, I I do think, are really like fun, weird little party tunes. I think there's just, um, I don't know, I think maybe there was an element of... It's really hard, because I I guess it's not been that long. It's been less than a year since it came out. But it feels like a world away from where I am now. I'll say that for sure. It feels really far from like the type of stuff I'm making now. So that's maybe the only thing that I feel maybe like a slight level of disconnect for it. But people seem to really like it. And that Strike tune also got on that future funk spotify plays which was like a dream of mine like that's the entire, best tune on it ever, yeah, ever yeah. since i started like doing stuff on it i was like i just want to get on this playlist so bad and i finally did it so i can check off my bucket list so bro, i don't regret anything doing oh no 100 do you feel yeah. like you
0: needed to make it to kind of figure out what you wanted to do afterwards
1: a little bit maybe I, I think i kind of wanted to get back to making those those original like kind of future funk tunes but i think like, maybe it was almost too late maybe it was kind of like by the time I got round to this point, it was a bit like, oh, okay, it's like I've kind of tried to bring something back that people aren't, maybe aren't necessarily desperate to have back. Or maybe just like the way in which I made it, aren't, people aren't desperate for. But either way, it's a, cool, it's a cool project, I like it, but I'm very much like moving on to like newer things. I mean... But the main thing I'm also thinking in my head is, wait, do I need like a big rebrand now? Because like, if I want to make stuff that's so totally different, do I want to separate certain elements of what I've kind of promoted before? But then I've got this TikTok on the side. I feel like I'm kind of being pulled apart in a lot mm. of different places for what I want to do, what my audience knows, this whole stuff with TikTok, the promotional side of things, DJing as well. I need to find a way to kind of pull it all, push it all into like kind of one thing and be like, it's this. I'm making this, but maybe it's just also a symptom of like sometimes I just like making whatever I want because I, if I make exactly whatever I want. If Britney Spears decided she wanted to make a death metal album tomorrow, she can't do that because mm. like it's, uh, that's a bad example because of the whole conservative <laughs> shit. But, like, okay, who's a modern artist? Um, Dua B- Leeper. Billie Eilish, if she wanted yeah. to make a. Actually, she probably could go with it. Dua Lipa, that's a better example. If she wanted to make a death metal album, she couldn't do that. She, I mean, they might let like, get away with it, but it's the point of at a certain point you've built an audience for something and there's a lot of eyes on her. There's an expectation that she's got to do the thing that she's kind of famous for. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's just finding the balance for that basically. But I think it sometimes is a thing of perspective. At the end of the day, I've not got like tons of eyes on me. I can kind of still do what I want at this point, but there's always the thing of, you always get in your head with numbers and audience mm. members and stuff like that and especially on tiktok i think that's the worst culprit for that sort of thing just like staring at numbers all the time and being like this did better than it's, it, people say the same when they're youtubers as well it's like oh this number is slower than this number therefore i've failed most recently it's all that sort of stuff and it's just making what you like and what's true to you and mm. all that sort of stuff basically
0: let's reflect on this continued music journey then so in the last three years what
1: has it taught you about yourself
2: Oh it's really
1: difficult. I think most of it is just to do with doing what you like and I think it's interesting it's not even strictly related to music but I do think a lot of the time people kind of just do what they do stuff based on like other people's expectations of you or maybe they have a certain image of you and sometimes I think there's a lot of times you just need to like shed to that sort of thing mm. or that way of thinking of just being like just do what you like and what you want to do at the end of the day anytime if I feel like I'm in a rut or I'm in like a bad place I found that actually music making was actually back in the day when I even started making music it was like a bit of like a therapy for me it was like a just like playing with these sounds and almost like you know expressing how how you're feeling but I just really liked to have this like really abstract thing about it especially when I was doing the ambient stuff and it's like I'm not saying there's no lyrics to these songs but the emotion still feels the same and it's just kind of communicating that sort of vibe I think at the end of the day it's just kind of doing what you you want to do and making sure that you're not trying to fulfill and kind of live up to expectations for yourself. Especially now, the main difference between when I would have said that when we first talked and now is that I've actually experienced that process of like, oh, I've got a few people who expect certain things from me or like a certain sound or a certain style, but realistically, I just want to make the stuff that I want to make. And I love all the the funky stuff and all that like cool future funk thing. I I love that, especially at the time when it was like so new to me and it was like felt so fresh and amazing. But I think it's just making sure that you just always are like, keeping yourself on your toes, making new stuff that you really like and stuff that you back, because at the end of the day, kind of like what we were talking about with the Strike EP, if I'm just kind of making something, I want to bring something back that I really like, but maybe doesn't feel 100% right, maybe it's because it's not right. And, you know, again, I think moving forward, it's just a case of, just want to make sure that the next thing is just like really cool and I really like it. I just want to make sure that Normally, whenever I make music, I'll hear like my mates jamming it, and like they might like it, and I'm like, I don't want to hear it in the background. My aim is for me to not care if they like it or not, and whenever they play it, go, this sounds awesome, this is the coolest thing I've ever made in my life. I think that's kind of where I want to get myself to, and it's the process of that I think I've learned the most from that, it's just trying to get to that point.
0: We've had a check-in about Snowdream let's go back behind the decks and talk about your mental health journey again, Elliot. So firstly, tell me how you reflect on part one, the feedback you got, and the journey to where you are now on this topic.
1: So the initial response, I guess I didn't think too much of it because at the time I didn't... The
0: most most highest listened to pod. Yes, (laughs) yes,
1: yeah. And, And that I didn't expect at all. But I think at the time, I thought it was something that was kind of going to exist in the ether. And I think I might have mentioned to you before, it was really nice to even just have that as like a thing where like I felt like I could and that's part of the reason why you do the podcast in the first place is like having feel like someone has a space to just talk about whatever they're going through or anything and I think at that point I was at the tail end of kind of like a low point in my life just mentally the feedback I got from it was so good I mean I think I sent this to you at the time but I remember I was talking about kind of like things like sexuality and stuff like that and it's something that I'm my whole life I've never really felt like I wanted to like talk to people mm-hmm. about there's loads of elements to that but I just remember getting this message through from my dad, and I don't really. Oh, so nice! Uh, um, yeah, that. I got that message yeah, yeah. from my dad, being like, "I just listened to your podcast. That like, you so uh, like, you so well spoken. I'm so proud of you, and it, like, it really touched me. It was really sweet. It was one of those moments where, like, oh, I wish I just had that thing where, like, I could just feel like I could talk about it more. But there's still loads of things where I'm just like, it always feels weird for me to just kind of have the, an open conversation with family and friends about things like sexuality. I think there's loads of elements to that, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's I mean, a lot uh, of people don't talk to their parents about no, sex no, and no, no, mate. exactly. But I, I think it's just being open about even just like relationships and stuff like that. Mm. I've never really felt like super comfortable getting into like talking about those sort of details because it, I don't know, it always just feels really the weird thing is. And you know, we can hop into it, but me being bisexual, I don't think I necessarily come across as such
0: to most people. I don't like using this term, but straight passing, it, in, yeah, exactly. in air quotes, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's one of those weird things where this part of my life people only know if i tell it to them and for but me that's a good thing though isn't no, it because you can then it's up to you and you have that control but that just gave me so much anxiety that was like oh a, really yeah but oh, okay. yeah for me growing up at the very least as well was like i just felt like yeah it was it was in my control but like i almost felt like it's quite comfortable in the just anonymity the world. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's really it's quite comfortable to just kind of blend in and not stand out which is Hard to do when you're (laughs) trying to make music and you're doing a podcast (laughs) or something. But it is that thing of like I almost quite like keeping myself to myself a lot Mm. of the time. You know You don't be able to treat you differently. There's that twenty one savage thing. It's like you're really quiet unless he know you, you're funny as hell unless he know you for real like Mm. it's all that thing where it's, it's that once you get to know people and you get closer to people, you feel more comfortable to tell them about that sort of stuff. But I'm the worst member of the LGBT community because, like, I, I, I don't always feel particularly prideful about things that for you me feel to, personal. You don't have to be, bro. I
0: know. It's like that's the. There's thing. no right way to be gay. I know. Or bisexual. Or I know.
1: But I guess it goes back to the expectation thing. Sometimes I think you're putting that on yourself. I know that's the thing. No the end, one else
0: is putting that. I'm not putting that on. I know. You know, it's you cr- know what I mean,
1: I know. But it's again, it's a lot of insecurity and anxiety. Sure. You know, I think I've just grown up with a lot in general, but it manifests with those extra parts about my life. I feel like I put extra pressure on myself for literally no reason. It's mm. yeah. It's a, it's a really weird vicious cycle I've kind of put in my head. It's, well,
0: it's, and it doesn't help when it's called pride, and it's yeah. like, well, but if you feel like you don't always have to be prideful, and you yeah. can just. You know, you just want to blend in and just do what you want, then. Yeah.
1: it kind of doesn't I'm, help that I know exactly but it's like it's not you know if I came across as outwardly as someone who obviously you know we kind of mentioned like mm-hmm. obviously you don't like using the term like straight passing but like if I came out as someone who if I was not if someone if you were who like was,
0: a f- more effeminate or yeah, you kind of that like, would get, all, gave
1: off the impression that you were gay or bisexual or that something would like that. almost be easier for me to push past that boundary for myself that I'm setting mm. for myself because then it's like there's not that layer I have to break for people if that makes sense it's a really mm. I don't know it's, it feels quite complicated to me yeah. but it's quite simple at the same I, time I, I hear
0: you but then on the the flip side say if you were just straight but yeah. you liked painting your nails and you liked being flamboyant and you liked you know you were quite feminine but you were strictly heterosexual then people would think you're gay all the yeah. time, and then that would make you annoyed because they'd be
1: making assumptions
0: about you that were incorrect. There are two sides of this. Hundred percent, hundred percent,
1: yeah. 100%, yeah. 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 And, and at the end of the day, I, I personally find it annoying when people make assumptions about people based on superficial mm. details. And that stuff never getting worse, bro. Yeah, it's, it, it it doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's just silly. Um, but I think for me, it's become different and it's manifested in different ways. In the sense that. Since we last talk, I'm now in a relationship, but it's with a woman. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of that element of it's even more comfortable for me yes, to not for yeah, not yeah, yeah. kind of pushing out into that thing, pushing those kind of boundaries. And I remember in relationships before and even now, if there's people that you're close with and the people that they're close with mm-hmm. aren't necessarily accepting of, you mm-hmm. know, like LGBT people, then that makes it like, it's just like it adds another layer on top mm-hmm. and it's just like... I think sometimes it's just, you know, feeling like I can open up and talk about certain things with people. And I think I've gotten better at that, especially since we last chatted. But yeah, it's still, it's still a learning curve for
0: me. Mm, how has that affected how you perceive yourself, not just how others perceive you? Um,
1: that's tough. It's hard to know. I think it's just... I actually have no idea how to answer that, to be <laughs> fair. <laughs>
0: it's a tough question. Yeah. Don't worry, mate. So given that, how you said how it was it was affecting how others perceived you... Do you think that some people in your life have almost like almost forgotten that you are actually bisexual? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, again, maybe subconsciously. Yeah, I don't, yeah I, I don't know. I think there. I think there is an element of that. Do you know what the other thing is? Is that I think I haven't done a good job of putting myself in things like communities and circles that act as kind of like maybe more of a support network. Most of the people that I hang out with, I know, are like heterosexual mm-hmm. men, basically. And I blend in quite easily as well. And actually, I remember my girlfriend said to me, he's like, oh yeah, I always assumed you were straight because of how much you talk about football. And I was like, <laughs> this is, is, part, of the there, this is yeah. part of the problem. stereotype This is part of the problem. And actually, I was part of, a, I'm a massive Reading FC fan. Shout out the Royals, even though we went down. Um, so I'm sorry, mate. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, it, was, it was either I'm you or me. I'm a fan for the listeners. It was, right. it was you or me. I had no control of it. No, I know, I know. Shout out to Neil Warnock. But, um, <laughs> I was part of a circle that they brought back Proud Royals, which was like a, an LGBT circle for like Reading fans and stuff like that. I told her I was part of that but it's like people make such blanket silly assumptions that mm. you're like this this and that therefore you're this or like mm. and it's so weird I mean becoming more attached to labels than we ever have been in my yeah opinion. and it's and it's so frustrating because I do think as a society it makes sense that you put labels on things to understand Does them it? more but I think with certain things like yeah, certain algebra- things, yes. yes, okay, it's ridiculous. I think, but not for people. I think you. Could, I think it's hard to label people if that makes sense. But we right? are labeling. I mean, I know. I
0: mean, well, you're 25. Yeah, uh, 20. Yeah, 25. 25. So I'm 29. So you're technically Gen Z, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like Gen Z are becoming more attached to labels than ever before, which yes. is kind of sad. Yeah.
1: Honest. Well, it's weird. It's like a kind of. It's almost like a horseshoe theory thing Mm -hmm. of like it kind of started out one way. It's almost like... Yeah.
0: There's very... My generation was we didn't have any labels but mental health was shit and no one talked about mental health and it was bad and now it's almost gone the other way where there's so much mental health content and so many
1: labels. Yeah and it's weird because I think the intentions on both sides can be pure mm-hmm. but the outcome and the thought process is so different and I think uh, and I find people, it really I find it really fascinating to and, be honest and
0: people can be manipulated, people can be corrupted, social media chuck that in. It's just a
1: cocktail of it's, it, it is stuff, mad, isn't it? it? Yeah, and it's something that's hard to, you know, two white dudes on a podcast I ain't going to solve anything for that issue. But it's really interesting to kind of delve into that kind of idea of like... You chucked a label on it us again there, bro. Oh, gosh, I'm <laughs> part of the I'm problem. Saying, I'm sorry, I'm part <laughs> of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, but it's uh, it's true. Yeah, that, I guess that is very much like a Gen Z thing of like you put labels on things and you make assumptions based on that, which again might be for a cause, and it they it might be a similar cause, but the yeah the method behind it is mm. so different. It's weird, isn't I mean, it? And if you're and if you're saying
0: you know if you're saying to a load of young white boys who are Gen Z and and using these labels to assume
1: things about them, then. That's how people like Andrew Tate come up, mate, and that's, they will just
0: take care of the it, vacuum. It,
1: it is crazy. Although you did also label me as Gen Z as well to make that gap between you and me.
0: Well, that's why we said some labels are actually important because okay. Gen Z is just an age marker.
1: For sure, yeah, for sure. <laughs> not, I can't call you a boomer, can I? <laughs> yes, you can. You don't know me. No, it's. No, it's. It, yeah. you Benjamin Button. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Let's talk about work as well, mate, because this is something that you wanted to talk about mm-hmm. and. We've kind of gone backwards in the running order. So this gave you a bit of difficulty during COVID because you were made redundant. And I've been made redundant three times, so I know how it feels. I know how emasculating it can be as a man when you lose that sort of main driver of, I want to say purpose, but just routine structure in your life. Tell me how it affected you, given that we were in a period of complete turmoil.
1: Yeah, I mean, so for, yeah, that job that I had, it was annoying. It's always the job that's like, I don't know about your experience, but for me, it was like, it was always the job that's like perfect. It was like, this job, it was like, commute was great. The pay was looking to be really good. X, Y, and Z, it was a job I loved doing. Like, most importantly, it was a job that I really liked doing and I was going to make really good connections and it was going to really help me with my just journey into Mm -hmm. the industry. And it was another good example of like, I feel like I kind of... You jumped the gun. Well, like it almost felt like a fake it till you make it type thing because I was probably not 100% qualified for the job. It is though, mate. But I was about to say, (laughs) those are like the jobs that you should be gunning for because ultimately, chances are it's something you can learn whilst you're there. And then, like, ultimately, if if that's how people see you and that that is your job and people just assume that role for Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And it was that feeling of, I think it was like two or three days after Christmas, I got a call, I got a message from my uh, employer being like, uh, do you have time for a quick call oh, and I kind I of hate those, I was mate. like and I knew I, I knew straight away I was like I'm losing this aren't I I was literally about to sign the dotted line for it to be a full time thing as well they had offered me it and I hadn't signed it because there was a discrepancy that they needed fixing so I didn't sign it at that point so by the time that it came around he was like yeah we're going to have to we can't give you this contract we can't keep you on it's like and was, oh, it, was it purely financial reasons that they gave so I know I wasn't the only person that got made redundant. I know a load of right, people got okay. made re- redundant. The thing that was kind of frustrating is I think they used the pandemic as an excuse for making a load of I'm people sure redundant. I organizations, yeah, they. I think they used it as an excuse to probably financial reasons why they had to. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it had this. I just remember having this sinking feeling. I just felt like everything was ready and was going to be set up for me, and I was going to be able to do so much. And I and it always feels per- like it's, it's always like a purely. Yeah, everyone says never business. take it
0: personally but it always
1: feels personal. It it's always not, feels yeah. personal. It always feels like I wasn't enough or I wasn't doing enough. Or I you know, you always get in your head about those sort of things when realistically it's always going to be factors that are kind of out of your control. And it, and that also feels quite emasculating as well, to feel like there's so many things in the in this factor where you feel like for things like companies, you're only as important to them as they feel you are. Like, I don't know, mm. it's like so it it was all it was a it was a it was a tough time. I kind of got back on my feet with some like a uh, Kind of other contract based work, which is a bit more short term. But even then, it's like the lack of stability always feels mm-hmm. like, why aren't I good enough to stick on somewhere like full time? I've landed on another thing that's like a really big project that's really cool and really exciting, but still hasn't got that like long termness about it. And it's always like, it's for you uh, sort of living from paycheck to paycheck a little bit. Well, like I can never plan in advance. And that always, mm. oh, I can never plan my life for the next five. Like, you know, that old question of, where do you think you're going to be in the next five mm. years? Literally, I've got no idea where I'm going to be in the next six months or like the next mm. year. So it can be a product of the industry that I'm trying to work in. Doesn't always make it better though. No, of course, of course. And I, you know, I wish, I wish it was easier in that regard, but it's difficult. It's difficult. And yeah, it's it's kind of, it's just keeping a positive attitude, always making sure that you kind of, you're filling the time and you're almost like making yourself employable and like kind of developing your skills and just making yourself it's like well, you've
0: got the whole snow gym skill set mate. exactly like, it's I'm... so good
1: it's almost like you want to prove people wrong a little bit like prove like, yourself right mate that's why that's, a, that's a better say. way of looking at it yeah there's a reason you've got a podcast
0: Just <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, mate but <laughs> you also had this quandary where you were thinking about whether you wanted to live to work or work to live just mm. tell me about that
1: yeah i mean and again it's uh i kind of grew up knowing i wanted to be in this industry where it's like i wanted to work in like media and it kind of nowadays it's kind of manifested in I just, I just like making stuff like if there's something i want to make i just want to make it obviously it's been a lot of music recently but yeah so much of that industry is like you have to work tirelessly when you want to get started and i think i kind of realized after things like uni and stuff i was like ugh, like when it's like 12 hour days and it's like all that sort of stuff it's like realistically is that what i want i remember one of our lecturers who had loads of experience in our industry and one of my mates was like oh yeah i can't do this thing because i've got somewhere i need to be or it's like there's something i need to go to and he's like that's fine but just so you know once you get in you there's going to be none of that and i'm like well there's going to be none of living a life outside of your work and to me that was like such a weird prospect of like I almost wanted to find the balance of, I maybe don't want to be tied down to like a super rigid structure of like, obviously it works for some people for like an office job where like you just kind of, you clock in, clock out and you do your thing. But I realized like, no, there's a stability in that. There's like a, I know what exactly what I'm going to be mm. doing and I can plan to live my life around that. It's like, To me, I was like, oh, this is so weird. Because if I can find the perfect balance of the structure and just knowing that you can kind of do whatever you want the rest of your time outwards, that would be great. But yeah, I think for me, I would like to be in a position, hopefully in the near future, where I'm not... We're
0: manifesting on this pod, mate. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Always good things happen to my guests. Always, exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, making sure I'm in that thing where I'm not living to work. I'm working so that I can do all the other fun stuff. You know, I don't... Having a career is cool, but sometimes there are other things in life that happen to you that make you go... There's more to life than just working in a career and stuff like Mm. that. Sometimes things happen, you're like. This isn't the be all and end all. There are other more important things.
0: You spoke earlier in the pod about being pigeonholed as an artist. Mm -hmm. Given your skill set, you said you felt like a little bit when you were getting made redundant that you were a jack of all trades, master of none, Mm -hmm. which is obviously a sad thing to say, but I think actually is a positive for you. Mm -hmm. Did you fear being pigeonholed as well in your career?
1: Um maybe a little bit and I can't tell if it's like when you finish a degree in something there's also the expectation of well you've just spent x amount of money you can't now just career shift now you've kind of you've made your bed now laying it but then I remember I was having a conversation uh, I think it was my dad about it and I remember saying like I remember the conversation was in that uh no he's not oh okay. no no not no not at all not at all but I remember talking about it and I came to the realization whilst chatting to him about it I was like if everyone chose their career path based on the decisions they made when they were 18 what sense or life does that, in general yeah exactly right. what What <laughs> sense does that make so you know it was a re- bit of an eye opening moment for me and I think when you're younger like when you're at uni it feels like you're spending so long there and when you're younger like when you're in I remember like in secondary secondary school felt like forever to of me of course yeah, like, yeah it always does and then you're older and you're like it's like it goes a, like that, yeah, it's a yeah. fraction of time and it's like I think when you are older you just realise like just do what you want to do it doesn't matter what you've kind of set for yourself just like just make it make it work for yourself. And uh, yeah, again, I guess, I guess you're right in a lot of ways. Like me having skill sets in kind of a few different areas does make me very valuable. But I think when it's things like the job market, you might only be very valuable to a few people. But obviously when it's like certain, maybe more specific jobs that like require a skill set that isn't as varied, it's like they want mm-hmm. it to be focused and X amount of time doing this thing. I think sometimes it can be harder. It's like... If you find the right job, it's like the perfect job if you've got like a load of skill set. But I think sometimes it's not exactly what people are looking for. And I've and I've gone through the process quite a lot this year, but I've kind of landed on something now at the mm. very least.
0: Before we reflect, you said you've had a bit of decision paralysis in this period of your life. Unpack that for me.
1: Maybe this kind of comes maybe it's a symptom of being a jack of all trades. Like I guess it's something that you can apply to a lot of things in life where you have so many options laid out for you. And there's so much you can look to do. It's like, oh, I want to try this, I want to try that. And you almost spend so much time trying to work out a master plan for it.
0: Look at options it, for dinner. You know, yeah, you so long you don't have dinner.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, the worst no, the worst one, totally unrelated to like proper serious thing. It's like when you're on Netflix, I think most people spend Thankfully, more time. I don't do this, but yeah, yeah. I think more people spend more time looking for something to watch on Netflix than actually just picking something and watching. And that's it. why I don't do it. Yeah, I exactly. I know what I see a
0: TV show, I see an advert for something that looks good. I'll add it to my app on my phone TV time. Yeah, I put it in, I go, right, I'm going to watch that later. Yeah,
1: <laughs> honestly, I've got the same thing with my girlfriend. We're like, we're going to watch this and we're going to watch this tonight. And it's, oh, it's so nice just to be like... But yeah, no, it's that thought of oh, there's almost too much options. You almost wish that the options were smaller so that you know that... Almost like music, to be honest. <laughs> honestly, yeah. There's it's so
0: like... much music and you're like, God, I wish some of this was better. And I, I wish I could
1: spend less time crate digging. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's, it's just such a strange position to be in but ultimately I guess it's there is a an an element of privilege to having that loads of options at your disposal because you felt because you know for me I feel like I've I feel like I've done quite a lot and made myself really marketable in like things like a job space but then there's like almost like the disconnect of but I haven't landed on something that's really concrete and like I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm getting recognized for it yet yeah that's the thing it's like it's always such a weird disconnect it's like but you can't be entitled about that sort of thing. you always got to like work towards mm. the thing you want to get. I think having all of that skill set is one thing, but it's just making sure that you're proactive and you just keep going, because that's ultimately all, all that anyone can do.
0: And as we reflect on your continued mental health journey, mate, what has this part of your mental health journey taught you about yourself?
1: Silence. Um, That'll stay can you Can you repeat the question for me, please?
0: What has this continued mental health journey taught you about yourself?
1: Sorry, I'm like... That stumped me a little bit. I think I'm still learning it. That's <laughs> like, like a good answer, mate. Yeah, I, I actually have no idea. I think almost when there's so many variables kind of being thrown around, it's like... I don't know, it's, it's interesting because I guess the point is that's a reflection question. That's like kind of almost like looking back at the immediate past. The well, last like, three years since yeah, we chatted. Yeah. yeah, just like working out exactly what it is that... I don't know, I think it's just kind of keeping on that kind of track of just making sure that Again, like kind of with the music stuff as well, especially it's just making sure that you you kind of you make what you like, and it's I think a lot of it and is not caring too much about what other peop- people there think. There we go, about we yourself. got there, we got that <laughs> You took I an know, hour to get there I, know, there. I know, I know, I know. It's <laughs> and it's funny because it's almost like it's. I feel like I'm doing so many different things technically it's all coming up with that same answer because it's all kind of feeding back into the same thing but I do think and I'd be interested to hear your take on this as someone who is a bit older than me do you think that's something that's a bit more symptomatic of kind of like the Gen Z type way of thinking cuz I think I yeah, think what what is sorry uh, the kind of thing of like people caring quite a lot about what other people think about them is do you that's think, a young person that's thing, what like, I mean like, yeah well, like you
0: all, you, all do, you do it as a young person and yeah. then you get I'd say you get to maybe 20 I think 25 is quite a big age. prefrontal cortex is fully developed. Yeah. You start to stop acting like an idiot. Yeah. And consequences... I think consequences are are always pretty strong in your mind, but the impact of consequences of your actions become much more clear and Mm -hmm. real. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you you generally don't tend to care what people think
1: from 25 onwards. I think I'm in that transition period Mm -hmm. of coming to that point where it's like, it doesn't matter. And I think
0: it doesn't matter yeah. what you think
1: <laughs> it's, it's like, no, it's is that Vince McMahon or something no it's The Rock mate it's The Rock yeah what um. is your name <laughs> it doesn't matter
0: what your name is
1: yeah it, it honestly it's just breaking out of that and and I think generally nowadays in the last few years I've been quite good at even if an emotion feels raw at the time I'm, I think I'm quite good at telling myself you can have the moment now like you just react how you want to react that's fine ultimately it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and you know you can
0: just have The Rock's voice yeah. in your
1: head. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and I think you always make things bigger than what they actually are. Mm-hmm. I think with yeah, with certain things in life. And it's just remembering what takes priority, I think, a lot of the time is a big thing. And, I, and do you know what? It's, I think when you enter a relationship or when like big life things happen, I think it's sometimes like, realistically, at the end of the day, just like think about it. And do you know what the thing that's always annoying? Sorry to ramble again. If I've got a friend who's telling me the same issue, I feel like I could tell them some advice that I think makes sense and is like, Level-headed, but still like emotional, empathetic, and all that sort of stuff. But I can, you can never apply that same avi- advice to yourself, can Why? you? I, I don't know. I feel well, like I can't you, you? You can, but I'm saying when it's raw and in the moment, you never just default to that kind of thinking. But I guess it's just a human thing. I don't know. Like, I mean, you can elaborate in the future mm-hmm. if you get there. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's it, again, it's just keeping that level-headedness and just remembering that ultimately. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter what but people you, think. Uh, do you know what? I need to... I'm going to have that in my head. Too. I might listen to that when I get back. That's, that's, <laughs> that's definitely going to be a, a big... Uh, yeah, I'm going to
0: use that. Or on that note, mate, that is a great way to end it. Thank you so much thank for coming for back me. on the Just Checking In podcast and Behind the Decks and talking to me, pal. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Elliot, aka Snowdream, for coming back on and letting me go back behind the decks with him once more. My favourite track from Snowdream's album, Open Space, Launchpad, featuring friend of the pod, Strawberry Station, will play us out, and I'll put all of Snowdream's streaming and social media links in the show notes as always. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the vendors who tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media, tell your friends or work colleagues about it if you're feeling generous write us a review and give us a five-star rating on apple podcast you can also support our patreon that's at www.patreon.com slash vent help uk or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or buy a vent t-shirt all of those links are on our link tree that's www.linktr.ee slash vent help uk stay tuned for the next episode of behind the decks and remember guys it is always okay to vent